Hello, hello, and hello, everybody. Welcome back for another episode of Not Now When. Today, oh my goodness, I am super, super excited for special guests on the show with us today. We have Shyla the Evers Burning. Oh my God, if you did not know Shyla, she is today award-winning project manager investor, mentor, and three-time founders who bring 20 plus of years of professional career experience working alongside with a leading organization and exceptional talents. She creates solutions that address disparity through investment in human capital. Her superpower, if you did not know, is connecting individuals and organizations around the world. Today, as a general partner for Zen Venture Fund, Shaila is on the mission to support underrepresented founders to create a thriving and sustainable business that provides generational wealth for their family and community. With that, everybody, I am just so, so, so excited. And thank you so much, Shaila, for joining us. And welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Wen. I'm so happy to be here. One of the parts that wasn't mentioned in that bio is that I'm an instigator and a catalyst. So I am out here finding unearthing problems and trying to find solutions uh, for those problems. And so that is who I am at heart. And I'm so happy to be here. So beautiful. And we are super excited you are here with us today. So I want to kick up our conversation with, wow, Shaila, you've done a lot. So tell us, how does all the journey get started? So I guess because I've always been, uh, in, uh, like, a, like I've always questioned why around anything that I was doing. And so I was always curious about um, different opportunities. And so for me, I started out wanting to be a teacher uh, uh, when I left college. And um I decided that I didn't have the patience for children. <laughs> I love children, but you know, I did find myself in the education system, but not in the classroom. And so did that for about 15 years um, in Orlando and just found um, that I had a knack for working with young people and that I wanted to uh, wanted my career to solve problems no matter what I did. And so that's how I found these very interesting opportunities um, in different industries. And so even landing here in the space of venture capital. Wow, what a different path from teacher to venture capital. So tell us, what inspired you? How does that even come about? How do you have that thought, conversation? So it go, it still goes back to problem solving. So when I was in the education system, while I, I again, I was not in the classroom, I was on the administrative side, meaning that I work uh, alongside the, the school administrators, the principal, um, as the operations persons. And so, you know, you get to see problems at a different level and is that, you know, you're like, okay, this is how are we going to solve that? And so each time I had an opportunity to sit at the table, whether it's uh, when I was with the public school system um, at a high school, you know, it was about how do we get these young people who come from, you know, very um, low to moderate income backgrounds, how do we get them what they need um, in terms of school supplies? You know, how do we make sure that they have a, um, a great community? And so we would work with, you know, churches and that sort of stuff to get youth engaged. And I did that every time. I mean, my day job was one thing about managing operations of a school, but my evenings were spent um, working with young people, uh, working with community leaders, ensuring that young people had access to resources. Um, So that whole access has been a part of my career. And then moving on from there, I I spent about 15 years in the public school system in Florida. And then we moved here to Atlanta, um, where I find my, I found my, I really wanted to stay in education, but 
Um, I didn't get an opportunity I wanted. I boo cried over this one opportunity at a state university, um, but then found myself hired at uh, the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, managing the, the, the features department, the operations of that, which was boring as heck to me. And I said to my boss, well, can I write stories? You know, can I get, can I become, you know, can I get on the writing side? And so again, interesting, um, curious, um, was able to leverage my voice at the table anytime we talked about anything that was on the cover of our pages. And then I began to write fashion and home stories um, while also fundraising for uh, for youth in the Atlanta area. We did this major fundraiser every year and I would do that. And I held all these sort of events bringing community together. And so those are just two instances where I've done that same exact stuff everywhere I've gone and including venture. I didn't start out uh, with the idea of raising a venture fund. I thought, how can I support entrepreneurs, right? What do they need to be successful? What do they need to get capital? And so that's what started that same journey of, of like finding resources for entrepreneurs. And that's so it's from that beginning. It's a, it's a continuous thread of ensuring that communities have access to resources, access to networks, you know, and the biggest thing is the access to capital. Why is that important to you, Shia? You know, as a young person, like my parents weren't wealthy, but I didn't know we weren't wealthy because we had everything we needed. I didn't know that uh, we were considered poor until I went to college. Um, and my friends, you know, seemed to have a whole lot more things that I had. Like, I didn't feel like anything was missing in my life. But in terms of, you know, the way they moved in the world, um, I hadn't had that. And so... For me, I thought, but I, and let me just go back to this. It has always, because I've always felt fulfilled. I felt like I was not poor and I will, you know, that there was something bigger and greater. So let me just start there. And so seeing it uh, with my peers in college made me realize, yes, there is this opportunity out here to be able to um, earn wealth and no one should be out here not having access to it. And so it's just something that's always been a part of me. Like I've always tried to help folks. Even as a kid, when I was a kid needing help, I would still try to help others and give to others. And so I just think it's something innate. Like I want to ensure that um, other people are well, you know, and sometimes it's been at the sacrifice of my own of my own health. Right. Because you get so in tune to helping others um, that you forget about yourself. So it's just been my lifelong, um, you know, sort of work, um, caring about others and then being this problem solver. Um, and so I just happened to find myself wanting more access um, more than anything uh, my entire life, not for myself, but for others too, right? I'm at the table with um, leaders. It's not about me making me uh, get into the rooms. It's about bringing those others with me. Mm -hmm. And so that is how it's just been who I am from, 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 from the beginning. And, you know, it sounds like you are truly a giver in your heart. You always want to help, want to make sure bring everybody on the table and supporting the community. I'm curious, you know, what inspired you specifically starting the Zen Venture Farm, a Fund and why now and why you? Sure. So and those are great. I love why questions. So um, my of course, at the time I was sourcing investors, I had started a company. Um, I had gone into full time entrepreneurship, started a company called the Bernie Experience, where I was um, supporting small businesses um, and nonprofits through uh, with organizational support and project management mm -hmm. and curating events for empowerment events for women. And so was really doing well three months in and, and I was offered the opportunity to source investors for a startup. And I'm like, I don't know what this means, but it sounds interesting. And so let me see again how I can help this entrepreneur out. Mm -hmm. 
And so I spent about seven months helping him out, you know, really getting him capital ready, um, which is, a you know, tell that story a little bit later, um, because while he had a, you know, a great business idea and concept, he, you know, just wasn't really ready to talk to investors from a business standpoint. And so I helped him get capital ready, met investors on his behalf, and then uh, was able to get him to a $5 million uh, letter of intent with the possibility of up to $100 million. Wow. Um, and so we were in due diligence, and my daughter and I were headed to a workspace here in Atlanta. Um, and we were uh, caught up in gunfire between two individuals shooting at each other, and we were driving through the city here in Atlanta. And it was the most traumatic moment in my life. My daughter was actually impacted by gunfire. She is fine, thank God. Um, and, you know, in that moment when we we're all traumatized, I'm looking around. At, at first, I was really mad at the community. I'm like, how could people be shooting at us? I'm a, you know, I'm a community advocate. I work here. You know, this is what I do. And then I had to realize and take a step back that this area had been venture redlined. And so while my daughter was, you know, sort of going through the, you know, the healing process, we're at home just having a conversation and I, you know, trying to debate whether I want to do this work or not. And, um, and so she says that, um, that I should continue doing it um, because I've been, she said, you're good at it, mom. And so I decide, oh, okay, I'm going to raise a fund. I'm going to raise a fund. Um, and I, you know, I'm like looking for all these strong women. Okay. Oprah, Michelle Obama fund, you know, Harriet Tubman fund. And then I look at my daughter and I'm like, oh my goodness, you're the strongest woman I know right now. Um, and I'm going to name the fun after you. And so the fun is named after my daughter. It's also my husband's middle name. So it's a family name. Um, and so it, it's in honor of, you know, her and all the women out there, particularly black women who have tried very hard to be successful at whatever they do. You know, I want to walk in their footsteps and, and make sure that I um, and I get asked a lot. Are you going to raise what if you don't raise this fund? I didn't set out to raise a fund to think about if what if I don't raise it? And so I'm going to raise the fund, right? And I'm going to ensure that um, diverse teams and entrepreneurs have access to capital. And so that's how I got here uh, to venture capital. I love that, you know, through an uh, incident and you rise above, you and your daughter, your family rise above the incidents, not only looking at yourself, but looking at how we support the community collectively as a whole and such a beautiful and noble Noble heart. So I just really want to say, you know, thank you for being such a leader and truly being the change you want to see in the world. And, you know, since we talk about, you know, Zen Venture Fund, can you tell us a little bit more about the fund and your investment strategy? Sure. So I'm raising a $25 million fund focused on diverse entrepreneurs and teams who are creating technical solutions primarily here in the South, Southeast, but opportunistically across the U.S. So we um, are industry agnostic, but we are looking for, we find some companies that work very well here in the Southeast. And so that is cybersecurity, fintech, uh, supply chain logistics, edtech, and digital health, and, and then IoT. Um, we've made two investments so far. We've invested in a, an IoT company out of the Research Triangle, triangle in, in uh, uh, North Carolina, um, Indian female who created um, a smart knob um, because her mother kept leaving the stove on and she wanted to solve that problem because her mom almost burnt the house down. So she created this smart knob um, where you can turn the stove on and off from your smartphone. And so really proud of her. She just did a rebrand. Her company is called Own. Um, and so that's one investment. Um, and then the other one was called Parimob. It's, a, it's an F payment by text, so payment by SMS um, for big brands who may have a, an opportunity um, that they want to share with their followers. 
so their followers can get these um, items because they already know your size. You just got to respond to the text and you, you have your product. And so um, we our tech sizes are 100 to 500 K. Um, we are reserving about we're reserving half of the fund for follow on. And we, the most we'll invest in a company is two point five million. Um, we consider ourselves highly differentiated, not only because we're here in the Southeast, but we're also um, leveraging the universities here in the Southeast. So I'm use, leveraging my years of education and working with the education system to be able to get some of these entrepreneurs who are, who are coming out of the universities, right, starting their companies. And so um, on our programming side, we have Zane Access and Zane Access University that supports those initiatives of getting in front of uh, some of these early stage entrepreneurs here in the Southeast. Um, and, so, and we have what we call um, a, a wraparound services for our entrepreneurs. We want to make sure our entrepreneurs are successful. So we're mm-hmm. invested only in 20 to, 23 to 24 companies um, so that we can be there when they're ready. So we, we um, assign them to an advisor so they have someone that works with them for the life of their company. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, you know, so that they are able to tap into those resources and those networks when they need marketing or some type of um, service that we can help them with. And so, um, yeah, really excited about everything we're doing. We, you know, again, have an entire programmatic arm that supports uh, the, the entire entrepreneurial ecosystem with different programming. We have a capital readiness program. We've graduated 38 companies in all in just a year. Um, those companies have gone on to raise significant capital. They, uh, and they, they have said that it's because of the education they got with our programs. Um, one of our companies has now reached one million in revenue um, and really excited about that. Um, and then we have Zane Access University, where we're going to have the summer uh, Zane Access Innovation Weekend here in Atlanta. We're partnering with Emory University. So if, if anybody's out there interested in a hackathon, um, go to their website and you can find it. It's ha- called Hack ATL. Um, and then we're going to have um, days of programming centered around the student entrepreneur. And then student entrepreneur means anyone, you can be at a technical college, you can be at a university school, you can be getting your MBA, PhD, that sort of stuff. You can be working within the university system in an entrepreneurial program. That's the market that we're targeting with this particular um, particular event. So that's that's what we do. I know that's a lot um, to take in, but we are really, uh, we really created our ecosystem here and um, have just been recognized for doing great work um, here in the city but from one of our newspapers. So Wow, Sheila, I, this is not just a, you started entire ecosystem and I love the, the comment you said earlier, you start this fund, it's not thinking, what if you're not going to raise? Like, I, I love that. I feel like you're such a doer. You have this intention you just go for in and now see what you're creating it just so incredible and so inspiring and you know now you in this vc world for you know a couple years now and as a three-time founder i'm curious how do you see your role shift being an entrepreneur a founder now on the other side right being a vc how do you see that transition and the differences Sure. So as a founder, I'll be very honest, I never sought outside capital. I didn't even know it was available to me. I thought that I needed customers. And so for me, it, I focused on customers, you know, but, you know, at the same time, I had a full time job. So I didn't give the opportunity my full attention. And so I'm able to help entrepreneurs kind of, you know, think that through. Think about customers for sure, right? Because that is one of the most important aspects for us. That That's what makes us interested in a company that you actually have some traction through customers. We're not looking for revenue because you could be exchanging data or dollars. And so I think because I... You know, I thought about the customer. That is something that I can definitely share with uh, the entrepreneur. I can also let them know that once they re- reach a certain scale, because I didn't really scale up, I, again, didn't know 
um, that, that was even available to me. But I can let these entrepreneurs know now that that is possible for them. As long as they know their market sizing and they're able to share that with a, a potential investor, you know, um, that is more of a, re- a probability that you'll, you'll get capital. And so I think, you know, I don't call any of those the failures. I just stopped doing them. You know, after a while, I just said, OK, I'm going to stop doing this because I'm working full time. I have children still at home, have a full time life. And so, you know what, let me just stop this for now. I'll come back to entrepreneurship another time. And each time I did, it was, you know, maybe a year or two in between. But I always came back to entrepreneurship. Um, my husband it ha- also comes from a very entrepreneurial family. And so, you know, like I told you or shared earlier that we even started a company together. He was all in. <laughs> And I was just like, he had a full-time job, you know, and he was in management and I was like, I am tired. So I tried to do that as much as I could, again, managing a life and home and that sort of stuff. So just, you know, I think my experiences with entrepreneurs who may have a tough time um, balancing all of that is to encourage them, encourage them and, and, and kind of help them find resources to help support that. Um, because those are the things I did not do because I didn't know they were available. And so now that I'm squarely in this space, I can be able to help those entrepreneurs um, think about some of the resources that, that are available. And also, you know, you know, pretty much get in the face of a lot of these folks here in the city and say, hey, what are y'all doing? Like, we need your help because we're out here supporting the community. Mm-hmm. And so if you're going to talk about, you know, making a change here in the city around entrepreneurship, then you got to support the organizations who are doing it. And so... Mm-hmm. It's both things. So, so also being an advocate for the entrepreneurial community um, is equally as important as supporting the entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. And Jenna, I want to comment one thing that you, you said, which really inspired me is you said, you know, yourself as a three-time founder and as before you were hustling, you have full-time, you know, family, all that. And there's, you never call it failure. You just, you part and you move forward and you start another one, right? Can you tell us a little bit more about that? How do you perceive failure and how does those experiences shape who you are today? And, you know, as a lesson to the entrepreneurs who today, right, the whole path is so many trial and error. Can you share with us a little bit more about your insight? So failure to me is that you didn't even try. (laughs) You didn't even give it a chance, you know, and so that to me is failure. So people who um, criticize those for going down a certain path, And at some point, either deciding, well, this isn't working or, you know, I found myself in a place where, like, I don't know if I need to go left or right. So I'm just not going to go anywhere. Um, Like you you can't criticize those folks for trying. And so I don't I don't I don't I see failure as not trying, you know, not taking a taking a chance on an opportunity that's been presented to you. You know, I could have easily said, um, you know, nope, I've just started my company. I'm so busy right now. I'm not going to help this founder out. And I would not be here talking with you today when. Um, So that to me would have been a failure because I'm sure I would have woke up three years later and found out, oh, my God, the world of venture capital is completely changing. And I didn't take that opportunity that that came to me. And so for me, that's what failure looks like. And so I say to anyone, you know, do your research on anything that you plan on doing. Like, I'm not saying just jump out there and do it right. I had to research venture capital. I had to find a black woman in this space because I didn't want to be the first. I didn't want to be the only one. Um, I needed to see who in my city was doing this and had done it well. Um, so I needed, so I did a lot of research before I took that leap. Um, and so don't go into an opportunity blind at all. Um, but also don't, you know, um, you know, don't look at opportunity if it doesn't like fit this, you know, this uh, square peg that you've given yourself. You know, I think there's always room to kind of grow and learn and 
If it doesn't work, it doesn't work. I, you know, I've forgotten that I worked at a startup. That's just how much I move on from things, right? So I worked at a startup in Chicago um, for about 90 days. It was, it, I don't want to name it um, because they, I think they've been uh, sold. But in that experience, I didn't know what I had around me at the time. I didn't know that I was in the middle of innovation. There were so many pockets of companies that were there. I was on a, one particular team. And so I just took it as, in that time, I had just moved to Chicago, you know, new transplant to a city. My kids were in, you know, new schools. And I was so focused on my home. I had a, we still had our house here in Atlanta. And so trying to juggle all that. And I didn't realize what was around me that I was in, like, I was in this space in 2012. Um, and I didn't even know it. And so I missed that opportunity by not engaging at a high level. I went to do my job. I went to the little activities. And then I went home. But I was in the middle of innovation happening. Um, and I, and part of it was being funded by a VC fund. And mm-hmm. I didn't even realize that until I fast forwarded into the space and I'm going, you know what? You didn't leverage that opportunity as much as you could. Now I'm not going to, I'm not going to sit here and call myself a failure because I didn't. I'm just saying I found myself in this space. Um, I don't know, eight years, nine years ago and I did nothing. Mm-hmm. Fast forward, here I am. And I'm just thinking, wow, like who knows what could have happened if I would have just stepped out of my little box and been a little bit more curious in that space. But again, not a failure, just a missed opportunity. I love that you you key emphasize it's not a failure. I think it's so important that, um, you know, I, I read this book, uh, I said that the difference is between average people versus achieving people is your definition or perception about failure. And the fact that you said it multiple times, I was like, yes, that's true. Mm-hmm. And I think it's so beautiful that you have such a healthy and beautiful mindset about who you are and really seeing those experiences as a stepping stone instead of a quote-unquote failure. And I, in my humble opinion, I think that's one of the reasons that people don't say yes, don't move forward because they're afraid of failure. Well, how does that look like? And, you know, Sheila, from your experience, you're such a doer in your heart. You, you, are just so bold and moving one step up another, whether it's, you know, being one of the very, not many, you know, uh, female VC, not only with color, that is just really uh, inspiring, inspiring act. And I really admire what you do. And I'm curious, do you always this way? Do you never afraid? Like, how are you able to always move forward in, in make those tough choices when it's just not a common threat cross? So uh, my husband and I were talking about this the other day. Like I, I, you know, and I tried it. I guess I'm thinking, have I ever, I've like never been afraid. Um, I'm not afraid of people. I'm not afraid of places. I I am somewhat afraid of the unknown, but not in the unknown of like, oh, am I going to get capital raised? But in the unknown of going over a hill and I don't know what's at the, at the bottom, that sort of stuff. Um, But I'm just, so I, I can attribute it to being very secure as a, a young, you know, as a, little girl dad like her my dad doted on me and made me feel very safe and secure um and i was always in his arms or near nearby him you know except for he when he went to work as soon as he was off work i was on my tricycle racing to his car you know to see him um and singing this song along with my cousins about my daddy's home you know um and then so that that to me has always resonated and stayed with me all of my life even when my dad um, and my mom separated and we were not together for, for years, decades, actually, mm-hmm. I kept that close to me. And, it, and, and, you know, I just, again, I felt like that part of me stayed, even though he was not there, I kept that strength um, of not being afraid because of 
um, just having this, you know, this feeling from my dad. And then I'll give you this one time. And this is like, I'm not trying to creep anybody out. I'm just telling the truth of what happened to me when I was a kid. I was about um, maybe nine or eight or nine years old. I can't remember my exact age or maybe even a little bit older. And I was at my mom's apartment and I had heard this like loud noise in the apartment. Right. And I was so I got scared. And so I ran. I don't know if you've ever seen those little orange Bibles. They're named something. I forgot what they're called. But I ran to this Bible and opened up the Bible when and I'm not I'm not trying to scare anybody, but I opened it up and it said, don't be afraid for it's me knocking at the door. I've never been able to find that scripture anywhere. I ran out of that apartment. I'm like, I don't know what that means to me, but I had that. And it's giving me chills now thinking about it. But that also like confirmed to me to not be afraid, you know. And so, yeah, um, I attribute it to those two things. And I've been in some scary situations where you're like, uh, are you really going to do that? Um, and yeah, I'm going to go do it. And so, yeah, I'm just I just don't carry that fear with me. Otherwise, I might as well stay home and just, you know, not go anywhere. But I'm not that kind of person. A matter of fact, I, I sort of hit problems. Hit, you know, I hit problems head on. Like, OK, so this is what you guys want to talk about. But this is what we need to be discussing. I don't run from issues. You know, I want to hit them head on. So I think it's just been a part of of my that that sort of early upbringing and then that confirmation for me. I really believe everything happened for a reason. And that is a message. You know, that's why it's so close to your heart. And, you know, Shayla, along the journey, I feel like you have such a fire in your chest. I wonder what that fire come from and what do you what impact you want to create in the world? So I think that fire still came from my dad not being here. While I loved him dearly, um, I think it came from now that sort of, I'm not the oldest child, I'm the second oldest. I felt like I needed to step up, right? I need to be like replaced. And no one asked me to, that's the thing. I felt like I needed not to replace my dad, but be that sort of um, strength for my mom. Mm -hmm. And so um, a lot of it came from being, you know, and I don't want to say the survival instinct, but making sure that none of us never go without anything. And, you know, so I, I worked a lot in high school. I worked, I don't know, like even as a kid, I worked, I worked in a local uh, record store. I worked at this woman's restaurant. Like I was always that little hustler. I don't know why, but I was like, I gotta be the one that helps solve all our problems as a kid. And I think I hold a lot of that now. Um, but that, that fire has just been always fighting against like people shouldn't like have to struggle like that. People shouldn't have to live a certain way. And then I went to college. I went to an HBCU, Florida A&M University, um, and where I got to really learn who I am as a individual, right, as, as a black woman. Um, even though I'm a black Latina, my dad's Puerto Rican, I didn't live the Latina life because they were separated very, um, very early. And so I didn't have that, you know, anymore of that culture once my dad wasn't in my life but I was definitely a black woman. And so I got to learn who I was, where I came from, from, you know, just the education that we were learning there. Mm -hmm. um, and, but I also got to see injustices like up front. And so immediately I was like uh, marching, you know, on, on behalf of apartheid in college, you know, fighting. I, I was like, I'm going to join the NAACP because we got to fight for the rights of people of color, you know, um, so much to the point, like I had a part-time job and they were, they um, didn't rehire me for the next summer because they said I had gotten too radical. And I'm like, radical? All I want are rights of people. That's it. So I was like, okay, I won't be working there anymore. But I have just been a fighter all my life. Um, and it's just a part of who I am. I mean, I push back even sometimes when people are afraid to push back. I think I have a voice and, and I'm not, I'm going to use it. Like that's part of that fight. Um, 
So I just, it's just been who I am. What about impact? What kind of mark you want to leave on the earth? So I have always loved working with young people um, and, and seeing them reach their fullest potential. And I, I feel like on this fun side, I'm doing the same thing. And that is what I, I want to leave a legacy of, that I, I gave way more than I took from the world, from the community. Right? I'm going to give back uh, way more than I've taken. And so um, and that my legacy will live on with my children and that they won't have to. I, I heard I watched the Kennedys, a new documentary that and I love the Kennedys, just the historical part of it. Um, and I hadn't seen this aspect of it where Joe, the father, had said that he, he would work very hard so his kids could do jobs of service, service to the community, that sort of stuff. And, and you think they all have. Right. They were either some or either in politics or some sort of thing. But he said he was going to gain wealth for that reason. So his kids could do that to give back. And that is my goal is to gain wealth, not only for my own family, but for my community so that we can continue giving back to each other. And we create the cyclical effect of investing that we begin to close the racial and, and gender wealth gap in this country. That is what I want my legacy to be. Thank you so much for sharing. And, you know, along the journey, Shayla, you made so many tough choices. And I'm curious, you know, you, of course, have so many success along the journey, along the way. What is your definition of success? And to that, do you think you are successful? So I think I think I am successful. It's taken me a while to get that because I've always worked behind someone else, meaning I work for an executive. I work for a director, you know, and making sure that they were successful in their day to day work. Right. As a project manager, that sort of stuff. Um, and so for me, I'm now thinking about my own success in terms of um, somewhat. Like, even my attorney had to say, you have raised the fund because we did our first close. Right. Someone had said, oh, until you raise the fund. And she's like, you're you're already raised the fund. So like even if you don't raise another dollar, you've raised the fund. And so that to me, like, like I'm successful because I did that. I'm one of the few black women who've done, I'm probably one of the, like maybe two or three black Latinas who've done this. And so, yes, I feel successful, but I also feel more successful because of my family. The fact that my family have, my husband and I have been together almost 30 years. Um, We have children who are, you know, they're healthy, they're doing what they want to do in life um, by their own standards, not mine. Um, and, and so for me, I feel success, successful in that regard. Um, if I didn't do venture capital, but I had my family, I still feel like I'm, I'm successful. You know, if I can circle back the uh, story a little bit, you mentioned that along the journey, you always kind of behind the scene, make sure the person is successful in front of you, whether it's uh, the leader you support, or maybe at a time you and your husband start a venture or all the, you stand behind the community, make sure the community is successful. Were you was it hard for you to kind of having that shift from the person behind the scene to now you are the person in front of the camera, in front? Like, was that a tough decision? Was it an intentional decision? How does that transition come about for you? So bec- even so, let me just make sure I say this. Even though I was sort of um, reporting to these folks, we always worked as equal partners. Mm-hmm. Um, every boss, every manager that I've had knew that I could be doing their job, right? And they, they said that, that you're very talented. That's why they brought me on to work alongside them, not so much of being their underling or anything like that, you know? Mm-hmm. And so that's, what I'll say that. And so I never felt inferior in, in any role that I've ever had. Um, I also want to say that I have a personality of like, I'm like, I'm going to, people have said to me, like they thought that I was a, the department head or I was the one that was a manager over the, the, uh, the features department when I was in there. And I'm like, no, I'm, I'm, I'm a 
a manager, but not like the department manager. And so I think the way I walk and I talk and I carry myself, I always walk in a, in a space of leadership, um, not in a space of management. I think management, there are leaders and there are managers. I always have been in the space of leadership. So no matter what role I was, even though I wasn't a manager, people mm. saw me as a leader. And I think that's just from, from coming as a kid, stepping up when my dad was gone, you know, being there for my mom and, and when I could, um, being there for my community, I've always been that leader. And so I stepped in this space into a leadership role. Um, and not so much of uh, now I'm, I, you know, the face part was a little scary because I have to speak more and I wasn't not that part. I wasn't really used to. Um, but COVID has really allowed me to be kind of free, like in, in moments like this where I'm not in a room, we're in two different spaces um, and I can let, let my personality show. And so I feel a whole lot more comfortable than I did uh, a year ago. So I feel very comfortable stepping into the being the face of the company and the voice of the company. Mm -hmm. uh, but that took a little bit of time. So not a hard transition at, at all, because I respect all of the people that I've worked for before they, they poured into me. And um, with that pouring, I felt like I was ready to be able to do this role as a leader. You're always a leader in your heart. And today, just so beautiful to see you truly step into the shine, the light, and with it being the change you want to see in the world. It's yes. really inspiring. And Shana, I'm curious, you know, if you look back to the past, you know, 20 or 30, however long of your career, if you have a magic one, I'm curious if you change anything at all. I think probably one. No, I wouldn't even change that one. No, I won't change that one either. I was going to say there was this time when my boss had left this organization and like I adored her. She was so she I mean, she entrusted me so much and she left the organization and I didn't want to be there anymore because she wasn't there. And, and I also thought, well, they're going to fire me anyway, so I might as well leave. And I don't know why I thought they were going to fire me. I just had, you know, you know, just very sort of immature in my thinking. And so I left there and I went to a uh, charter school uh, startup um, here in Atlanta. And I spent about 90 days here. And I that was like, I like I actually cracked my foot. I didn't know that I was working so hard at that school um, I, because we were trying to get it ready and open for the first uh, uh, group of students who were coming in. Mm -hmm. And it took everything out of me because I'm one of these folks. I'm a perfectionist. I'm like, this school has to look good, smell good because it was an old building. Um, and so I was hiring contractors. I was tearing down walls. I was like, this place is going to be sparkling on day one. And it was. But it took so much out of me in 90 days. And I was like, I can't do this anymore. So got the school open, got the students welcome, got them all acclimated to the school with, you know, computers and that sort of stuff. And then we were going to have this big meeting and I left and I was like, this is the time for me to go. I can't do this anymore because I am like, my family time is gone. I was having my family at the school washing walls with me. Um, that was the time that I, um, I, you know, I, I could say it was um, not the best decision, um, but I adored those children at that school. I mean, they, I came there for them every day to see what I can do to support them. I was, um, I was uh, the business operations manager. And so I love seeing their, you know, thriving in this new environment um, that they saw a shining place that was designed just for them. That's why I can't say it was um, a long, a, something that I shouldn't have done along the way. Cause I have to at least say that, that my heart still thinks about those children. Um, so yeah, I, I, no, no, no regrets, none whatsoever. And I'm curious, uh, if you were shared a piece of advice for your 30 year old self, what would you say? I guess because I always, like I said, I always had this feeling that something was going to be, you know, at some point you're going to reach that, that point of your life where you feel like this is the, the thing. 
And I wish I just would have told myself it's coming. Like, you know, you don't have to worry so much about it. I, you know, um, I, for a long time, I just, I worried about like, I don't want to be poor. I, that was a constant fear of mine. And I just wish I would have said to myself, you're not going to be poor. You know, everything's going to work out fine. You're going to work hard. You're going to see the fruits of your labor. Um, you know, you're going to be fine in the end. That's what I wish I would have done. If I could have just took comfort in that, you know, that I'm doing the right thing. I'm doing all the right things. Um, just continue to do that. Um, I just, again, I did, I didn't want to be poor. That's, that's just the bottom line from a, from a like personal, um, you know, like desire to, to, to keep moving forward. So I am not that person. Um, yeah, that's what I would have wish I would have said. Today, Shada, what made you happy today? I'm talking to you. <laughs> Seriously, you, you, you bring out like some of the, some great conversation points. So that makes me happy. Um, the fact that I get to work with entrepreneurs today, I don't know what my schedule is like, um, but I know I have several meetings with entrepreneurs and community folks. And then I get to meet with my family later in the evening. And so that makes me happy knowing that I'm going to do all this work. But at the end of the day, I get to sit with my husband and watch some cheesy show at the end of it. Um, that's exciting to me. My last question to you, Sheila, is, you know, what piece of advice you'll give to entrepreneurs or aspiring entrepreneurs who maybe today in the trenches, in the hustling like you were, you know, many years ago or, you know, who wanted to be someone like you one day, right? What would you share with her or him? So I would just say, you know, you did this for a reason, like continue to remember your why, you know, and that's why I love your why questions that earlier. Why you? Why now? You know, and so keep focusing on that and then going back to that, because I have to do the same for myself. Um, and, and once you do that, you know, I think you begin to feel like you're moving something. Um, you know, surround yourself with good people. I mean, I don't know if you say one or one advice, but surround yourself with great people um, because you cannot do this alone um, in this journey. So ensure that you have a, a sounding board, a team or whomever to be able to help you along this journey. I think that's that's really, really important. And I have that and, and, it's, and it's been invaluable um, for the folks who have conversations with helping me uh, think this through. Well, thank you so much, Shaila, for such a beautiful, beautiful story. And what I love most about you is you are such a heart-centered, beautiful businesswoman. You are just so kind heart. And I felt what you want for yourself, you want for everybody. You want for the entire community. And I believe it's your why, it's your fire, it's your drive. Truly help you, truly today, accomplish so many incredible things. And there are so many entrepreneurs, so many leaders looking at you as, you know, the thought leader and truly leading the change and I think it's so inspiring. So thank you again for sharing your beautiful story with everybody and thank you everybody for tuning in. I really hope you enjoyed today's episode as much as I did and I hope to see you all next time. Thank you so much, Shayla.